morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Let me hear you one more time. How you doing? There we go. Happy Memorial Day. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, welcome to Victory Church. We're so glad you joined us on Memorial Day, on Memorial Day weekend, and to be able to be a part of all that God's doing right here in Smyrna. Here at Smyrna, we're about four, or here in Victory Church, we're about four things. We're about growing, guiding, giving, and going. And you'll see it, and you'll hear it all throughout well, the, the language of the church, and so we want to help people grow to know God. We want to help people, guide people to freedom, help people have an opportunity to give out of their purpose and then go and make a difference. In the past, I don't know, three or four weeks or so, we've really been highlighting the value of our church that is the go value and the difference that you are making outside of the local church and in the community. And so we've talked about how we picked up our very first missionary in Costa Rica, right? That's exciting. Uh, and then we talked last week about the chocolate fountain that you provided for the teachers here at RSM. And we got so many thank you cards from the teachers that's thanking us for, for that. It kind of came out of nowhere. They didn't know it was coming, and we got to bless them. And next week, I'm going to announce one of probably the most exciting things I think we've done as a church. And I can't wait to tell you about it. We got to do it this week, but I wanted to uh, fine-tune some things before I introduced it to you. I wanted to tell the dream team first and different things. I cannot wait to share it with you. So whether you're here next week in person or you watch online, hear what you are doing. But here's what I want to talk about real quick today, and that is the month of July. We are busy serving as a church in the month of July. So we have a little bit of a calendar. I just kind of looked through it real quick. I don't want to be in y'all's way, but right off the bat, we uh, Smyrna has a 4th of July Independence Day celebration kind of event parade. We always rent space there, and we do whatever we can do for free. So last year we did balloon animals and face painting, and some people were charging for balloons. We just gave it away to every kid, and we just wanted to love and be a part of our community. Smyrna has the best fireworks show you'll ever see, right? Tell Nashville that. And so... Um, on the 12th, we're going to serve at Second Harvest Food Bank here in Smyrna. That's a Friday. Well, you'll hear way more details about that as we go on. Uh, on the 13th, that Saturday, is our serve day where we go out and do different projects for our community. Last year, we did a lot for the school personally and then for firefighters and the policemen of Smyrna. Uh, the 21st is when we actually are going to try and recognize the servicemen and women of, of our town here in service. On the 26th, we'll be back at the food bank serving, and then on the 28th will be where we recognize the teachers of Rock Springs Middle. And I've got an idea that we're going to do as a church. I just got to see if the principal approves it, and so we'll see how that goes. But that's just some of the things that we're doing as a church in July to serve. That's what we're about here. We're about going and making a difference. We're here on purpose because we, and one of our purposes is to impact and serve those around us. So go ahead and put that in your calendar. You're going to hear a lot about it. It's going to be all over social media. We're going to be telling you every day in June. And so go ahead and mark your calendars and be a part of that. You don't want to miss it. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles, open the book of John chapter 17. So in the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John chapter 17. This series that we've been in uh, is called You Asked For It. And on Easter Sunday, we kind of passed out these cards and asked, hey, if I could, if you could kind of choose what I preach on, if you had a question of what does the Bible say about blank, what would that be? And then we tried to take them and, and create messages around them so that maybe you would leave here feeling a little bit more educated about that particular topic. And when it comes to these series or, or these messages, I kind of have to go all over in the Bible with different verses to be able to support different points. Um, and so that's why normally I won't really give you a verse to start off, but John 17, 15, and 16 is what we're going to actually start with in this message. So if you want to turn there, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we've answered questions like, how do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? We've answered questions like, does God really have a plan for my life? How do I have joy in a life that's heavy? 
And hear me, if you asked a question that hasn't been answered, because today is our last week, we'll move into studying the book of James next week, and if, you have, if your question wasn't answered, I, I saw questions from how to be, or, or, or how do you address loneliness and anxiety, uh, how do I know if my dream is still going to happen, uh, how do, what, what does God do financially in our lives, just crazy questions that we're working into messages for the next four to six months that we're going to answer those questions. So again, whether you'll be here in person or listen podcast online, your question's going to be answered. Amen. Here's the question we're answering today, and this question I could preach on for literally days, but I'm going to do my best to put in about 30 minutes for you today and let you get out and enjoy your Memorial Day. How do I stand for my faith in today's culture? How do I stand for my faith in God in today's culture? You understand what I mean by today's culture. It's just what we're living in. It's the decisions. It's the influence. It's all that. Amongst all of that, how do I stand for my faith. Another way to ask it would be this, can I believe in something and not have to quarantine myself from the world? Because I think that's kind of what we teach Christians nowadays. Like, yeah, you can believe for that, but you need to, you need to totally like, put yourself, lock yourself away from the world, and that doesn't make us fruitful for the kingdom. Here's another way to ask the question, uh, can I enjoy life? Can, can I just enjoy life and not have to abandon holiness? Like, can I just go and hang out with friends and watch TV and play with my kids and not have to abandon holiness? And I believe the answer to all of those questions are, yes, there is a way to do it. And in John chapter 17, Jesus actually said this in verse 15 and 16. Go ahead and throw that, that scripture. There we go. It says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil ones. So Jesus said, look, don't take them out of the world. And that's kind of our mindset, right? We get saved and then, boop, let's get away from the world. Jesus said, no, no, no. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Just protect them from it. Make them influential and make them impactful and make them not be influenced by but be influencers. Make them to be thermostats, not thermometers, right? Make them impactful. Don't take them out. but make it. And then he goes to say this, for they are not of the world even as I am not of it. So Jesus said, you are not of the world. Here's what he was saying. There is a way for you and I to be in the world and not be of the world. There's a 100% way for you and I to be in the world, to live in the world, to shop at the same Kroger and to go to the same movie theater. I saw Aladdin last night with my family, and yo, Will Smith killed it. There you go, We all know you watch every week, enjoyed you. And so, it's a way to be in the world but not be of the world. Matter of fact, listen to me, I think it's so important for you and I to be able to be firm in our faith and watch this, successful in culture. Isn't it a problem if Christians aren't successful? What does that say about God? I think we can be firm in our faith. And matter of fact, I think it is a must that you and I both simultaneously stand firm in our faith and then live and operate in the grace of Jesus Christ. So ultimately, how can we engage our culture without compromising our faith? How do we do that? Like I said, I could literally unpack this for hours, and I'm going to do my best to give you about 30 minutes and let you be able to leave here feeling like you're a little bit more wise on how to engage your culture and not compromise your faith. Here we go. Number one is this. You need to know what is true. It's going to be really hard for you to stand for something if you're not 100% sure what to stand for. If you don't really know what to believe, 
See, I think a lot of us tend to have our family's Christianity. You know, mom and dad were saved, or mom and dad this, mom and dad took us to church. And we believe things because they sound nice and because God seems cool, and we really want to believe, but we don't actually believe. And when people ask us questions that are not clear black and white, it confuses our faith and we abandon our faith. And it's hard for us to stand firm on our faith when we don't even really know what to believe. What is true? Psalm 33, 4 puts it just like this. For the word of the Lord is right and true. So the Bible, the word of God, that book that's still in the number one bestsellers list, that book is the truth. That book is the truth. But if you don't believe it, you're going to have a really hard time standing for it. If there's anything in you that doubts that it's true. If you treat the word, I like this illustration, if you treat the word, the word, the word of God, like my daughter treats Lucky Charms, when I pour her Lucky Charms, she picks the marshmallows out. You know what I'm talking about? She just gets them one by one by one. If that's how we treat the word of God, well, I like this. I'm going to get that. Ooh, a little stale. Nope. Uh, I like this. this is, but until we take it as the truth, it's the truth, it won't be able to impact our lives. It's impossible for you to stand up for something that you don't fully feel confident about. I experienced it firsthand one time. It was the very first time I ever went tubing. Y'all ever been tubing on the lake, right, or whatever it might be you went tubing? I, I had never experienced tubing. I grew up in the hood. And so tubing, I can't tell you what that, I thought that was when I was growing up. But tubing, I didn't know. We didn't have lake toys. You know what I'm talking about? And so they took us to the lake. And so I'm watching it. The youth pastor, that's how I went, I went with the church. And the youth pastor's taking people on the lake in the tube. And he's in the boat. If y'all don't know, it's like a rope. And then there's a tube. And he takes you through. And it's, you know. And so I'm watching. And there's one of the guys in the youth group standing beside me. And I say, how does this work? Like, I'm watching it, but I don't really fully get it. So how, how do I do it? Here's what he told me, a little line sucker. He said, Whenever the, the tube, whatever way it starts to lean, you lean that way. I said, yeah, exactly. I said, that don't sound right. He said, no, no, whenever it's just, it works. It's just science. Whenever, whenever it leans, you lean. I said, all right, cool. So I, I, I listen to Big Pun. I know when you lean. Yeah, I know lean with it, rock with it. I understand it. And so I got, I got it onto the tube, and we start going, and like, couldn't have, you know, it's, it's kind of a process. I wasn't, I wasn't in great shape. Getting on the tube is a workout. Can I get an amen? Like, that's enough. Like, I'm on the tube. Can we go home? I'm done. And I'm just going tan on the tube. And so I got on the tube, and it you know, the, he's got to go, and the rope has to get tight, and you get the little pull, and I go, and it couldn't have been 10 seconds, and I was gone in the water. And they brought the boat back around. The youth pastor's name was Jason Byers. He's like, hey, you know, Troy, you okay? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to get you. So he goes back around two, we must have done this 10 times, y'all, and I couldn't stay on the tube more than 10 seconds. And I could see my youth pastor getting really mad, you know what I mean? Like he was just ready to send me straight home. He's like, I don't care if he goes to hell or what, just get him, send him home. I'm kidding, he didn't think that. And so, uh, so, so, so I'm, I'll get back in the boat, he starts letting other kids go, and, and he kind of leans up to me, he's driving the boat, he goes, Troy, why, why are you so bad at this? And I said, I don't know that I fully understand what I'm doing. I don't know that I'm confident in what I'm doing. And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, every time the tube leans, if you lean the tube to the right, I lean to the right. And he goes, what? And I said, yeah, and if the tube leans to the left, I lean to the left. He goes, no, that's not right at all. I said, what? He said, no, no, if the tube is leaning to the left, you lean to the right. Oh, where were y'all, right? 
And so I'm like, oh, so I get on there, and now I'm there. I was like the one who could stay up the longest because I figured it out, right? Now I had confidence in it so I could stay up on it. Now, I will tell you this, testify to this. Jason Byers, if you ever listen to this, I blame you for this. Once I got good at it, he was good at testing my standing. You know what I mean? Y'all ever had somebody test you on a tube? You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's like it's that old dad in you when they realize, all right, he's been on the tube for too long. And so then he forced me off, and it was fantastic. It was amazing. And so here's what I'm understanding, y'all, that before you can ever stand on your faith, you've got to be confident in your faith to begin with. Because whatever your truth is, hear me, culture is going to find a way to test your truth. It's going to be a way. So I want to try, try just real briefly to, to try to help you understand how the Bible is the truth. It is the truth. I'm going to give you a couple of bullet points to just know about the Bible, okay? The Bible has been researched, searched through uh, uh, in, a, in a very, very, very tedious way. So throw those bullet points up for me right here. So, so right off the bat, the Bible is historically accurate, okay? The Bible is historically accurate, which means the people that you're reading about in the Bible, they're real people, and they were eyewitnesses to what happened. People saw Jesus walking around after the resurrection. This ain't the girl that w writes the movies about Harry Potter, all right? It isn't, it isn't made up. This is legitimate eyewitness. People saw this. Also, it has archaeological confirmation, which means the places you're reading about actually exist. You can go to the Dead Sea right now. You can go to the Jordan River right now. You can go to the Garden of Gethsemane right now. You can go to the Via Della Rosa right now. The place where Jesus walked, you can go. People take trips there all the time, and there's literally, yep, this is what we believe was his grave, and this is the Garden of Gethsemane. It is actually there. So what you're reading is not a story made up, but it's an eyewitness, or it's news from actual eyewitnesses, and it's actual archaeological information, all right? That's one. Number two, it's scientifically accurate. The Bible has taught us more about the earth and humans and life than anything. Do you know who the, you know, we, we, there was a certain time where the world freaked out because we found out that blood is what makes us live or die. The Bible said that a long time ago. Remember the, the debate on whether or not the earth was flat or round? It's round. Kyrie Irving's wrong. The Bible said that a long time ago. The Bible has all of this science. We are learning more about us and the earth from the Bible than, we, than anything. It's scientifically accurate, okay? Number three, it's prophetically accurate, okay? Watch this. 300 prophecies about Jesus alone have been fulfilled. 300 prophecies. That's, that's insane. And, and I want to be able to help you because some of you, you're kind of like, I don't really understand the prophecy thing. Let me just, I just want to help you see how probable this is. I was reading this book about this, and the guy said, all right, 300, so get that number in your head, 300 prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled. He said for eight of those prophecies to be fulfilled, okay, for eight of them, here's the prob probability of that. If you were to take 100 million silver, silver coins, pick one of them, and put a little red dot on it, and then pour all 100 million of those coins in the state of Texas, just all over the state of Texas. And if you took one guy, put him on a helicopter, blindfolded him, flew him around Texas, and allowed him to choose where to land, and then you let him land and you let him get out, walk wherever he wanted to walk, and pick up one of the coins, the chances of him picking up the coin that you marked with the red dot is the probability of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled. And there were 300. That's got to do something to your brain, guys. 
Like maybe this just ain't some book. Like maybe this is, maybe this is real stuff. Next, it's thematically unified. I have two girls, four and nine. They have come to me many times with the same story, and it's never the same story, right? Whatever Casey says is one, one way, whatever Veda says is the other. Here's what's so cool about the Bible. From the moment the first person who wrote, who, who, whoever was the first person that started writing the Bible, to the time that the last person wrote their last word, it was a 1,500-year time period. 1,500 years. 40 authors, more than 40 authors wrote it, and yet it all has a unification in its theme. How's that possible? If my two girls can't do it, how do 40 plus people over a 1,500 year time frame in different counties and countries, how is that? How was that possible? Maybe there's something supernatural about this book. And then I added this, it has transforming power. John 8.32 says, the truth shall set you free. I've read a lot of truth. I read an entire book on George Bush, and I read an entire book on Justin Timberlake. Equal people. Neither one of those books transformed me. Neither one of those books set me free. There's only one book that I've ever read that I felt like set me free. And that's the Bible. These are just some things I'm giving you. Look, I have about eight minutes per point to preach to you, and there's no way in eight minutes I could ever assure you that the Word of God is the, is the truth. But I'm going to give you a resource. If you're just in that season of life where you really need to know this, there's a book out there that's called, that is called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. If you will go buy that book, if you can't buy it, I'll buy it for you. If you're into it and you read it, here, here, it has one story that blew my mind. It's all, all these things I just said, he talks about, he, he walks us through how to know that the Bible is the truth. It's the truth you should build your life on. He tells a story in the book that I thought was so cool. Uh, there was a Christian bookstore owner in an Arabic-speaking country. And an Arabic-speaking young man came into the bookstore, and he asked the bookstore owner, what is your best book on defending Christianity? And the guy went and got this book, The Evidence of the Man's Verdict, in Arabic, and came and gave it to the man. And as the man bought it, he walked out the store, and he said these words, I am preparing my dissertation on how to destroy Christianity. He walked out. Six months later, the Christian bookstore owner baptized that man because he had given his faith to Jesus. Right? You can give God praise for that. It's cool. It's cool. Here's what that means. Anybody who's ever truly set out to prove that the Bible isn't true and God isn't real, they end up giving their life to the Lord. Now, people who go into it with a mind to just be ignorant about it is one thing, but people who come in with an open heart, they always get transformed because it's alive and it's real. It is the truth. The Bible is the truth. I'm here to tell you, we'll preach it to the day God sends me to my grave. It is the truth. I don't preach it because it's encouraging. I don't preach it because it's nice. I don't, I don't preach it so that I have to be able to bosh. It's the truth. It's the truth. When my kids fight, I said, I said, tell me the truth. It's the truth. So what is true? You better decide. Because until you say the Bible is the truth, it's going to be really hard for you to stand on it. Amen? Once you feel like the Bible is the truth, here's step two. You have got to stop trading truths. Stop trading truths. Look what Paul said to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, talking about people in the culture. He said, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They, they traded the truth about God for a lie. When we choose to stand up for our faith, here's what we're saying. I refuse to trade the truth of God for a lie of the world. I refuse. The world has a way 
of trying to get you, watch this, to trade the truth for your truth. That's what culture tells you. Oh, come on. What's your truth? Live for your truth. You've heard that? Love your truth. What is your truth? Your truth is a trap. It's a trap. And culture just wants you so bad. Come on, I know you got the truth, but let's just make, any of y'all trade basketball cards growing up? Anybody? Am I the only person? Thank you, brother. All right, and so you remember what that was like, man, I'll give you a Dan Marino for a, for a I don't even have an example. All right, and, and so it's the trading truth. Like, what do you believe? Well, here's what I believe. All right, well, then I'll trade you. No, we have to stop trading truth. There is a difference between your truth and the truth. I lived this out as a, an example the other day. Some of you saw this on social media. I was on the couch working on the sermon. It was, I don't remember what time of day it was, but Casey Ray had just woken up from her nap. And I can hear her coming down the staircase. Staircase is to my left. I'm working on the computer. And I, I didn't even look up because, you know, this is a routine for me. And, um, ho, ho, yeah, ho, you got to hear what she says, though. She, uh, she goes, hey, Dad. I said, yeah, babe. She says, I'm moving out. So I said, what? And I looked over, and this is what I see. Now, a couple things people have pointed out. Number one, she does have her Bible, right? That's how you know it's impressive. Uh, but I love this bucket that's in her mouth. <laughs> like, she's like, I'm carrying everything, all right? And so she was ready to go. So I see her, and I react just like every other godly dad would react. I said, well, we should at least tell your mom. And so I close the computer, and I put the computer down. I get up. I said, come on. And I don't even help her carry her stuff. I'm such a jerk, right? I'm, I'm failing as a father. She's like, can you get this? I'm like, no, you're moving out. Like, it's done. You're gone. I, I'm, I'm out. And so we're walking to the bedroom, and we go into the bedroom. Darla's in the bedroom. And I said, hey, babe. And she goes, yeah. I said, uh, Casey Ray's moving out. And Darla goes, oh, no. You know? And she goes, well, where are you going? And, and this part, y'all don't know about if you, if you saw this on social media. She drops all of her stuff in our bedroom floor. And she goes, I'm moving in here. I said, well, ain't Jesus good? And here's what the Lord told me. Her truth was that she was moving out. In her mind, she had left her room. She had packed her bags. She was moving out. The truth is she wasn't going nowhere, right? She was in my room. Like, she, no, that, that's, that's the process for us. There's a difference in our truth. And the truth. For example, your truth this morning might be that it's cold in here. The truth is that it's 69 degrees in here. That's the truth. Your truth may be that, is Pastor wearing a pink shirt? The truth is, it's fuchsia, okay? <laughs> There's a difference. There's a difference in your truth and the truth. Walk with me for a second. Your truth may be that you're persecuted, but the truth is that you're not abandoned, Right? Your truth might be that you're pressed down, but, but the truth is that you are not crushed. Your truth may be that you're lonely, but the truth is you are not alone. Your truth may be that you're weak, but the truth is, is that he is strong. See what I mean? There's a difference in your truth and his truth, the truth. And what culture wants you to do is however you feel, whatever you're thinking, whatever you think is true, let's trade it for the truth. And that's a problem. Because watch this. Your truth is based off of your situation. The truth is based off of your revelation. If you're cold in here and I go get you a blanket and sweater, now you're not. Your truth was based off of your situation. The Bible is never based off of your situation. It's based off your revelation. And if we're not careful, listen to me. 
we will believe our truth so much that will eventually become the truth to us. I put this quote that I heard from another pastor in a sermon on my social media. I loved it. And I don't have it on my, my slides, so sorry, uh, Brother Paul. But, but it basically said, you can believe so much that people aren't reaching out to you. And the truth is, you aren't reaching out to anybody. You know what I mean? You get in that mindset of like, nobody likes me. You know what I'm talking about? They don't like me. They don't like me. Have you talked to them? No, but they won't talk to me. Have you, do they even know you're here? No, they should know. And then this, this, this truth that we have in our mind eventually becomes the truth. That's the problem. Uh, we, we were in Memphis, uh, and we, had, we were on some kind of, I don't know, some trip. And I got a text message from a friend of mine that lives in Memphis, and he said, can I call you? And I said, sure. So we worked out the details, and I got him on the phone. He is a church planner in Memphis, planted a church about a year before we did. And I answered the phone. I said, hey, brother. He said, hey, I need to apologize to you. I said, well, first of all, you're forgiven. Uh, I said, but I, I, what happened? I don't, I don't, what are you apologizing for? I don't know. He said, so let me tell you a story. He said, before you ever moved to Plant Victory, uh, and he named an individual that we both shared as a friend, he said, that individual told me that you said that my church would never make it, talking about his church plant. And he said, I knew I should have come to you and said something because that, I know that's not truth. He said, but instead of talking to you about it, I just let it set in my mind. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it, and it became the truth. And I said, well, what happened? What changed? And what had happened was a few weeks before he called me, he had put a post on Facebook about this really cool idea he had to put his church information on coasters and take them to local bars and give them for free. I mean, it's genius. Like, we're working on it now. And I, and I just posted on Facebook and said, man, that is genius. You're doing a great job. Didn't think anything about it. But when he was at home and he saw my comment on that, his, immediately his truth was challenged. Wait a minute. Well, if he, if he hates me and doesn't want our church to succeed, why is he saying that? See what I mean? See, that's what happens when your truth, eventually you rehearse it so much in your mind that it becomes the truth. And until it comes up against actual truth, it won't be tested. Hear me, church. We have got to stop trading our truths. We have got to stop looking at the Bible and hearing something else and going, yeah, I'll go with that because it makes me feel better. It doesn't work that way. There is a truth for a reason. You can't live off your truth because if you live off your truth, what happens when it goes against their truth? And that's what we're facing with culture today is we've allowed everybody to live by their truth and now all of a sudden my truth don't line up with your truth and it's offended by your truth and we got this hot mess. And nobody's looking at the truth, right? So how do, how, do I, how do I do this? First of all, you've got to know that the truth is the word of God. Second, you've got to quit trading truths. And here's what I want to spend the majority of our time on and really talk about this because this was pressing on my heart big time because this is my heart. We can stand for truth, watch this, and still be someone that people can stand to be around. You can stand for the truth of God and still be somebody that people can stand to be around. Look what Paul said, church in Philippi. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. In whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. So no matter what happens in culture, no matter what you experience in your neighborhood, in your school, at your workplace, on your social media, no matter what happens, you you, son and daughter, you conduct yourself in the manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What is that? The gospel is both grace and truth. Jesus was grace and he was truth. So what that means for you is the conduct by which you should be operating in is a conduct that stands firm in truth but loves in grace. See me? Truth and grace. You ever met someone who the way they stand up for what they believe in makes them where you don't even want to be around them? You know what I'm talking about? They just do it the wrong way. I've heard this saying growing up. You can be heavenly minded and know earthly good, right? Spiritually minded and know earthly. This is the person that you go to, to the steakhouse with and the waiter comes and they're like, you know, what can I get you? Steak, how would you like it cooked? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't even make any sense. Like why are you getting spiritual? They, they won't let their kids go see Aladdin because of sorcery. You know what I mean? It's like settle down a little bit. Like chill out. You know, they're, they're, they're whole punchline. I've seen these people before and they, they go out and they, they flirt a little bit, right? And they got their pickup lines and they're so spiritual they can't even talk to a girl. And they pull up and they're like, hey, hey girl, hey girl, I'm going to call you Pharaoh because I'm a slave for you. You like that? No. I should have stopped. Should have stopped a long time ago. Worship band, come up. Just kidding. Don't. But this is what I'm talking about. People who they just become so spiritually weird that they're not earthly good. I believe that the mandate on our life is to be both spiritually minded and earthly good. Both spiritually minded and earthly good. I, I experienced this in probably the most phenomenal way when Darla first became vegan. I literally saw how you and I can stand for our faith and then still engage culture. Uh, some of you know the story, but I'm gonna, I, some, of you, some of this you don't know. I want to take you through it. There was four stages in Darla becoming vegan. The first stage was the very first time I woke up and she told me she was going to be vegan. And I didn't know what that was. And then when I found out what it was, I said, you crazy. And so I told her, I just said, here, here was what I said. Uh, you do you, but don't bring it on my, like, you, I, I'm eating meat. I'm going to do me. You can be weird all you want, but don't bring it my way. That, that was stage one for our relationship with veganism, okay? Stage two, we went to Whole Foods to eat some food, and I got two slices of brisket pizza, okay? Pizza with chunks of brisket on it. Hallelujah. Okay, and... Um, <laughs> And then Darla sat down with her tofu and roasted red pepper sandwich. And she was like, baby, you want to taste it? I said, I don't eat mattress foam. There's really no point in me having that. No point in me even in entertaining that. And so I, I engulfed the first slice of pizza, and it was good, but I was feeling sick about myself. And she goes, come on, baby, just taste it. Just taste it. And so I said, fine, I want to stay married. And so I grabbed the tofu sandwich and bit into it. It was the most incredible thing I had ever tasted in my life. I don't want you up here yet. <laughs> and so literally, here's what I did. I tasted and saw that it was good. And it's funny that scripture says taste and see that he is good. So stage two was I tasted it and saw that it was, it was good. But I still wasn't going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, every, you know, it's all right, but no brisket pizza. You know. Stage three, I don't know how long it was, a couple weeks, a couple months later. Uh, I said, I'll tell you what, babe. Uh, because you're the cook and I'm not, every time you cook vegan food, I'll eat it. So, so if it's dinner time and you cook, you don't have to cook me meat. And you, whatever you cook, I'll eat it. And then if I'm with you and we're out and you get black bean burger, I'll get a black bean burger. So whenever I'm with you, I'll be vegan. But whenever I'm with my boys or I got a lunch meeting, I'm eating meat, right? I'm having a steak with chicken on top of it. You know what I mean? Like that is who I am. And she, here's what I loved about her is every time she'd be like, okay. Okay, babe. 
okay. And she'd just be over there in her little nice-looking self eating her little vegan food. Here, try this, try this sweet and sour tofu. She'd be making vegan food look like real food. You know what I mean? It was awesome. Stage four was this. One day I just told her, you know what? I'm just going to eat what you eat because I can tell that what you're doing is better. Honestly, it's just better. Like, it tastes better. I feel better. It's just, it's just better. Watch this. Four stages of standing for your faith in today's culture. Stage one, I'm going to stand up for Jesus. Hey, you do what you want to do. That's you. Don't, don't bring it my way, right? The people you're dealing with, you want to stand for Jesus? Oh, you, you, you can be a little preacher kid. You, you, you can read it. Just don't bring it my way. Okay, no problem. No problem. Stage two, you're hanging out together. Hey, you just want to taste it? Just, no, no, no. You just, just want to go to church with me? It's Easter Sunday. There's, a, a, there's like an adult egg hunt. You want to just, just come check it out? We, we got a picnic. You want to just come, come picnic? Hey, hey, side note, bring all your friends to the picnic. I'll feed every one of them. Bring them. It's a great time for you to tell them about Jesus and introduce them to the church. I'd love to beat them in volleyball. Like, yeah, that's my pastor. Just spiked on your face. It'd be great. Okay. So you just, hey, you want to taste and see that's good? Stage two. Stage two. Stage three, here's what people say to you. I, I'll go with you to church, and whenever I'm around you, I won't cuss. Whenever I'm around you, I won't listen to that. Whenever I'm around you, is this not really how it happens? And what's so great is our reaction. Because our reaction can't be, well, well, you don't need to be. The reaction is, okay, it's cool. Okay, it's cool. Okay, it's cool. And eventually, stage four comes where somebody says, you know what? Your way is just better. I feel better. It's just taste better. It's just, it's just, it's just better. That, that, that's how, how do you, that is the most practical way. That's, that's just how you do it. How do I stand for my faith in engaging today's culture? Number one, just stand. And when they try to butt you, don't butt. You don't have to be meat. Love them. And then always give them the opportunity to taste it and just, just hear it, just taste it and see. Hey, can I just, can, I, can you just come see this? Just come see this, right? And stage three is, hey, when I'm around you, cool. Yeah, yeah, you can stay on me. That's cool, cool, yeah. Well, you're not going to, no, no, I'm not judging. I'm not here to judge you. Cool. If you need to, you need to step out, go, go do that. But, but, yeah. I, I thought it was so cool that it says this in scripture. So if that's kind of a practical way, now here's your scriptural way. All right, throw that last verse up there for me. Um, Galatians 5, chapter, or verse 6. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Let me explain that. They thought back in that culture that whether or not you were circumcised meant you were a child of God. So here's what it's saying. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised doesn't matter. Let me bring it into our term. Whether you got a suit on or a t-shirt or a wife beater, it don't matter. It don't matter. Whether you can quote Greek or you don't even, you don't even like Greek yogurt, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Whether you've had 16 years of Bible college or you literally can't read, it don't matter. Does not matter. Whether you sinned last night or you're sinning right now, don't matter. Doesn't matter. What matters? Doesn't, what matters? The only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Can I tell you a story that happened in my life that, that I, it's, y'all, it's the best example this has ever happened in my life, and I got to share it with you, and you just got to ride with me for a few more minutes, and we'll close. So, again, for those of you that you don't know this, when we moved here to start the church, we started with interest meetings, interest parties. 
what we would do is we would encourage the team, hey, go talk to everybody, invite them. We were at the Hawkwoods house, bless their souls. And we would show up at their house and we would cook out and play yard games and different things. And then for about five, ten minutes, we'd bring everybody in the, in the living room and we'd share the vision of the church. And then we'd beg them to come and help us start the church because we wanted to launch with a worship band and kids ministry. And we did. It was incredible. God's so faithful. But that's what we would do. And so there was a season, and you can ask a lot of the people who were here at the beginning, there was a season where we were like pests. Everybody we saw, we were like, what are you doing? What are you doing next Friday night? You want to come to us? Like, you, literally, you could not be around us without having to be invited to an interest party meeting. And waiters and waitresses were the best because they, they have to talk to you, right? And so Darla and I were at this restaurant, and this young man came, and he was our waiter. Super sweet, super nice, very good waiter, and we invited him to our interest party. And he... Surprise, surprise, he shows up the night he comes to our interest party and he brings his boyfriend with him. Now, I didn't know he brought his boyfriend because I wasn't paying attention. I was busy running around. I was nervous, all this kind of stuff. I just thought it was a friend. Didn't really pay that much attention to it. Uh, so normally what I would do is if someone said, hey, they were interested, I'd try to meet him for coffee and walk through more depth of the church. So I met this gentleman for coffee at the Starbucks in Murfreesboro and we sit down and we start talking and he looks at me and he says, uh, Pastor, you need to know something. I said, okay. He said, I'm a homosexual. I'm, I'm gay. I said, okay. He said, can, can I still come to your church? I said, 100% yes. And he goes, well, where do you stand on homosexuality? I thought that was an inter interesting question because I get that a lot. Pastor, where do you stand? doesn't matter where I stand. Where does the Bible stand? I don't walk by my truth, right? can't do that. I got opinions just like everybody else, but I got to stick to that truth. And so I said, well, let, let me tell you. So I had my Bible, and so we opened it up, and, and we looked at a couple of verses, and then I explained them the best I could. And, and then I began to focus on two things, the love that God had for him and the identity and purpose that God had for him. I didn't focus time on my truth. I focused time on the truth. Y'all, this sparked multiple coffee meetings. We'd get together and we'd break down different scriptures and different verses and we'd both be crying. I'll never forget this. One time we got done meeting and we walked out of the coffee shop and I gave him a hug and he walked to his car and there was a bumper sticker on the back of his car that said, I'm so gay I can't even drive straight. <laughs> I said, that's the best thing I ever seen in my life. I loved it. I wish Christians were funny. You know, it's, it's so great. Uh, and, and, and so he went on about his way. I stood firm in my faith, y'all. I stood firm in my faith. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Because can I tell you something? I don't think we have to water down the gospel to be able to coexist with culture. I think we're supposed to be different. I think we're supposed to live different, walk different, talk different, text different, drive different. I think we're supposed to be different. And I'm learning that culture often accepts what's the same, but they will eventually respect what is different. And so I stood up for what I believed in. And he ended up coming to the first service, and that was good. And we didn't really see him a lot after that. And, and I would text him here and there, and we'd talk a little bit. But, you know, I, I got busy. He got busy. So months go by. He didn't come to church. I didn't, he didn't do anything for me. We didn't, we didn't get together for coffee. I get a text message. Hey, Pastor Troy, uh, I, I have broken up with my boyfriend, and I need to move out of his house. He actually, they were living in like a hotel he said, I need to move out, and you're the only person I know with a truck. Now, here's what I know about moving. Half of you won't move your family. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but I'm your wife. I ain't helping you move. You know what I mean? It's that bad. I said, when do you move? He said, tomorrow. I said, oh, man, I got meetings. So I canceled my meetings, and I went over to the hotel. Pulled up. It was just me and him going up three flights of stairs, 
pulling furniture. You want know to hear the best part of the story that people won't tell you in the uncensored version? As we're walking out of the hotel, the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend worked at the hotel. So he's at the front desk, and I'm walking with the furniture with him. I'm thinking, he probably thinks I'm the new boo. You know what I mean? He's like, what up? <laughs> Whatever. Like, you better fix this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to end up. Anyway, and so I, we, I helped him move all of his stuff. We moved all of his stuff, all of his stuff. We moved it. His grandma was sitting there telling us what to do. She didn't pick a thing up, but she told us what to do. We're picking stuff up. We put it in my truck. We drive over to the storage unit. I unload it all. I'm going to my truck because now I got to get somewhere. And he goes to try to pay me. I said, whoa, whoa. And I reached up. I gave him a hug. I said, man, I love you, brother. And I jumped in my truck and I drove off. And I could see him in my rearview mirror like, wait a minute. Malcolm still keeps in touch with him. I was talking to Malcolm one day. And he said, yeah, I texted him a while back. And he said this to me. He said, man, there's just something different about your church different. See, here's what I'm learning, is that I can stand for my faith, and I can still love with grace. You know what I mean? I'll move you out of your hotel, and I don't want a dollar, and I don't want praise, but it doesn't change my faith. Because I'm learning that what speaks louder than my faith is my actions. Because without faith, or I'm sorry, without works, faith is. How do, how, do I stand, how do I stand firm in my faith against today's culture? How do I tell them all that I believe in? Shut up, stand up, and do something. Walk it out and stand for it, but love them like Jesus. Right? Because the Bible says I don't convict, the Holy Spirit does. So I can walk into your situation and I can love you like a brother or a sister. I can stand firm, firm in my faith. I can walk out and it's not my concern if you needed to change or wanted to change. It's God's. And I believe with all of my heart, if you're with me for the next 30 years, because that's how long we're going to do this church before we're all dead. 30 years. I promise you because I know God and I love my God and I guarantee you there will be a day I baptize that young man. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it may not, it may be because of Malcolm, because Malcolm texts him now. I don't even text him. It may, but it's just about, man, I'll stand for what I believe in, but I'm going to love you like Jesus. Because I want to be able to stand and still be someone you can stand to be around. It's not about... You know what I get worried about with people when they stand firm for their faith? When they stand firm for their faith, it's all of a look at me. I want to stand firm for my faith in a way that says look at him. Because I'm just as messed up and as screwed up as y'all are, whoever I'm talking to. And here's, here's what I'm learning. And I'm, i got to say this, and then i got to explain it because you could take it wrong. Is that I can stand for him while at the same time loving them. See what I mean? And them is not an individual, it's a culture. It's a mindset, it's a truth, it's a lie. It's a false truth. Standing for my faith. But it's expressed through love. That makes sense? Does that help a little bit? I know it's only 30 minutes. That book would do you a lot, but I just really want you to be able to do it. I really do. I want you to be able to believe in what you stand up for and believe what you stand in for not waver, not trade your truth for the truth. Quit listening to yourself. You're lying to yourself. 
for listening to culture. Stand for the truth. And then, hey, let's do it. Let's do it while loving them like Jesus. And here's why. You ready? Spoiler alert. Somebody stood for their faith and loved you. It's the only reason I'm here. It's because Tammy and Ron Kennemore. Brian Hogwood. You know the real energetic cat that's up here with like toboggans and stuff on? Stood for his faith. But loved me with grace. Who am I to not give somebody else that same option? Jesus, we're so thankful that you are a loving God, but your truth. I love that you're not moving and forming into whatever we want you to be, but you are who you are. But the Bible says that you're love. And that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody who's so firm in my faith that people know where I stand. They don't see compromise in my life. They see confidence. They don't see me trading my truth for the truth. But God, when they speak about me, they say there's something different about him. Because yeah, he stands for his faith, but he loves everybody with grace like Jesus. And that's my prayer for every one of us right now, Lord, is that you would just give us the ability to operate in both truth and grace like Jesus. That we'd be able to stand for what we believe in, but we wouldn't quarantine the world. That we'd be able to enjoy life and not have to abandon our holiness. That we'd be able to engage the culture around us and not have to compromise our faith. Teach us to do it. Give us strength. Give us revelation that we would feel and build that truth off of revelation and not our situation. Thank you for your word that's alive. Thank you for the word that is the truth. Thank you for making my wife vegan so that I could see the most, most real explanation of what it looks like to share and stand for my faith and yet love somebody like you. Make it real to every one of us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,